Well, that was really nice. Thank you. Well, God, all of what he said, and just make this meaningful for people. Thanks for being here, Holy Spirit. Last time I shared some things that God has already placed in us. A lot of the time, Christians tend to come to God or to serve God with kind of a poverty mentality that if I pray more, I'll get more of God's spirit. I was reminded sometime during the worship, you know, that that whole prayer of God, give me more is really not a biblical prayer at all. What we're saying, and the Holy Spirit translates when he talks to God, when we talk to God, is God, help me understand what's already in me and what you've already placed here. That's what more, Lord, means. Help me to understand the reality that I am now a son. I do have your spirit in me. I am completely forgiven. I stand before you not as a sinner, but as a son. All of those kinds of things are wrapped up in this thing that God has already put into us and fully equipped us to do every good work. And we spend the rest of our life here on earth discovering what that looks like for us and what it is. Today I want to share why we might not be experiencing him, why we might not be experiencing signs and wonders. You remember a couple of weeks ago, these signs will follow those who believe. If we don't have the signs, we don't believe. No condemnation, we just, that's what the Bible says, right? Here's one reason why. Well, first I want to share an incident that happened a week ago. <clears throat> one of the things that God said is he literally lives in us. That, <clears throat> Pardon me. We have become stewards of God. And I don't know about you, but I'm still having a little bit of a problem wrapping my head around that one. That I'm stewarding God. But he said it's true, and so I'm kind of talking with him and trying to be aware that I'm walking around with him. So, okay. So the other day, I'm going to a, a tower, and I'm making a um, delivery. And I walk in the door. Thank you so much. Blessing back to you for all that you've spoken because of this cup. Now I needs a table. A couple times when I've, when I've gone places to speak and stuff, I'll get a chair and a little, little table and coffee and stuff and just kind of talk that way because I'm probably better at that than standing up here and sounding all preachy-like. Anyway, so I'm thinking about this uh, whole thing of I am a steward of God because God's spirit lives in me. So I walk into this um, th- one of the towers that I'm going to and... There's a lady waiting for the elevator, and so I, I come up behind her, and, and she walks in the elevator when the door opens, and I walk behind her. She turns and looks at me and starts sobbing. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, what's this? So I said, what's wrong? And she goes, I don't know. I just started crying. And then she stand, she's still crying. The elevator doors close, and I go, okay, I think this is a God thing, God. Um, you got like 10 floors to make this all happen. So the door closed, and then she looks at me, and she goes, if I could live my life over again, I would do everything different. 
Now, I, I think my mouth didn't fall open, but it felt like my mouth fell open. And she's just crying, and she goes, I don't know why I'm crying, but I wish I lived differently. And I said, look, God put you here to experience his spirit. This is his spirit. Things are going to be different from today going forward. We got to the floor. The floor stopped. The doors open. She walks out, turns around. Her mouth does fall open. She stops crying. And I think my mouth was not open, but it felt like it. And then the door shut, and then I went on up to the floor I was going to. Is it really possible that just carrying God's Spirit could influence the around us? Then why isn't that happening? I want to suggest one of the reasons. We talked about several, but I want to suggest one. Is my subject for today. But, but I want to say something ahead of time. I do share a lot of stories. I share them not because I'm better than you, not because I'm more skilled, not because I'm more anointed. I had these stories back when I was a corporate accountant, which I think is an entirely anointed activity. Just ask Matthew. Thank you for a few people that smiled. I think it is possible. I think it's normative. I think there's no reason why Peter walking down the street and people knew something leaked out of him so much that they would put sick people along there hoping his shadow would hit them. The overflow of the Spirit in him. Jesus is walking along and some woman says, if I just touch him, that'll be enough. What if the next time you were in a crowd waiting in line for something and somebody touched you and got healed because of the anointing you carry? But I want to be really clear with you. I'm a work in progress. I'm as screwed up as any of you. I can, you know, one of the big challenges I have is knowing that God's spirit is in me and knowing the stuff that goes on up here. Oh, my gosh. It's easier somehow if God is like in heaven and he knows all the stuff. But when he's in here and knows all the stuff, it gets real personal real quick. Look, I struggle just like all the rest of you. When I speak, I talk to you because I know what I'm sharing with you is truth. My function, fivefold function, is teaching. I can teach truth even though I haven't fully apprehended how to walk in it 100% consistently. And what I'm going to share with you now is that. I have stuff that doesn't work just like you do. In the last three months, I really got a lot of stuff that doesn't work very well. And the reason I'm sharing that is I want you to know because of what follows after this, It's something I'm walking in trying to learn how to apprehend, not that I've got it all together, and I'm telling you to try to catch up to me. You all with me? In the last three months, we decided to move because of Mary's health. We we live in a townhome. We've got all kinds of stairs, and Mary's not doing well navigating stairs. So we purchased a condominium. We did renovations on our townhome, and we had to move out for two weeks with all of our critters and all that sort of stuff and camp out for two weeks. We've been living in a staged home now for about six weeks, which is entirely unfun for me. 
We've not received one offer on our townhome. The real estate agent doesn't know why. Nobody knows why. But we haven't received one. In the last three months, Mary's been in the hospital three times. She's there today. This is two weeks in this trip that she's been there. My brother-in-law nearly died a month ago. He, um, what is it when they, when they go completely out and they have to like shock them and bring them back? Whatever that's called. Coded. He coded twice on the table. And my sister said it was a miracle he even lived. He's still doing bad and the prognosis isn't good for him. Oh, and just to make it, you know, complete, I had two surgical procedures to remove skin cancer in the last three months. All it happened. I ain't got it together any better than you. I get the same kind of stuff that happens for you. So when I share what I'm going to share, it's not about I figured it out and y'all got to catch up. When I tell a story about walking into an elevator and God's presence just slops all over on somebody and they start crying and everything, it's not because I've got it together. I maybe am a little more aware of carrying God's presence, but we're all in the same boat. By the way, no more cancer. One of the verses I've been wrestling with, Hanny actually brought up last week. So I'm going, okay, I guess it's time to talk about that because it's a thing I've been churning on for a long time. Um, what I'm going to share with you, I started trying to walk in a decade ago or so. I have mastered it, but a little further along maybe. I wasn't excited about the verse. Not because I didn't know what it meant. I wasn't excited about this verse because I knew exactly what it meant. Or at least I thought I knew what it meant. So, in keeping with where Hanny was last week, turn to James. Wasn't that the cool... That actually means you're going to get your phone out or your Bible out and click on the little icon that says James and go to the first chapter. You get a lot more revelation if you actually read the Bible with God saying, show me what you want to say, than just going, oh, yeah, I kind of know that verse. James chapter 1, verse 2. James writes and says, consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many people have that up on your refrigerator as one of your favorite verses? Yeah, I have it on one of my lists of do not read. Not anymore, but I did. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever this verse was preached, I always heard it. Maybe they didn't say it that way, although some people did. That I should be joyful when trials come. Oh, wow. My wife's now entering week three in the hospital. I should have joy somehow in that. Maybe I'm not quite getting it together, but joy ain't what came when I found out this morning that she went back into DKA, diabetic thing, and, you know, I'm probably going to have to renew my parking pass again for another five days. I was heard, be joyful when the trials come, but somehow I just couldn't bring myself to get all happy when the trials came. Now, maybe you're better at it than I am, but I couldn't do that. So I'm going, okay, here's this verse that says what they, or at least what they're telling me. I really struggled 
with the concept that a good God brought trials into my life and then expected me to be happy. Sounds warped to me. I want to take just a couple minutes of my journey through this verse. First of all, I needed to get settled that there would be trials in my life. Some people come to Jesus. Sometimes we pray with the expectation that we're never going to have any more trials. And then when we do have trials, we feel like a deficit. Like, oh, I'm not measuring up to what I need to. Okay, does anybody... Kind of feel like that sometimes? Okay, because if you all had it together and I was, you know, really recalcitrant in it, then I'd skip that part. Yeah, it's like, okay, joy in trials. I don't have it. What the heck is wrong with me? I must be deficient. I can't even get past verse 2 to get to the rest of the book. I had to get over that. Look, we are going to have trials. Another verse nobody puts on their refrigerator is John 16:33 that says in this world you will have tribulation. Who want that one on my, ver- you know, dashboard so I say it all the time. You will, we will have tribulation. Becoming a Christian does not keep us from having tribulation. We are not deficient as Christians because we have tribulation. There's nothing wrong with us. We haven't sinned massively to open the door. We have an enemy that hates our guts, whose job description is to steal, kill, and destroy. We didn't mess up because we have trials. But that verse continues to say, Take heart, I have overcome the world. What God says to us when we're dealing with the issue of trials is, you're going to have them. We live in a war zone. But take heart, because I've already won. Every single issue that I just strung together, that I've walked through for the last three months, God already has the solution. He didn't say, I'm going to keep all these from you. His promise was, you're going to have them, Rob. But he said, but take heart. Not because you have the tribulations and the trials. Take heart because I've overcome them. Now, what does that do for us? It shifts our focus from trials to the solution to overcome that God has. And that's critical. We will not live in hope if we're looking at what's wrong. We live in hope because of the faithfulness and the integrity of who Jesus is to us in every circumstance. That was a a pretty good one. If I could remember what I just said, I'd say it again and you could say amen more. The shift focuses from, oh my God, look at that string of trials that I've got going on. To a God that has already overcome and has the solution for every one of them. What are you dealing with today? Trials, of course they're going to be there. When Jesus guarantees it, you can make book on it. I probably shouldn't have said that in church, right? Make book on it. But it is 
a certain outcome. Are you hearing me? The focus gets shifted. And when we shift the focus, everything changes. Because now we're not looking at what's wrong. We don't say it's not there. We don't do one of those weird faith things that says, okay, there's an elephant in the room, but there's no elephant in the room. It's weird. Jesus invites us into that overcoming place, not this wallowing in my list of things. That's helpful when we're processing trials. A second thing is that I've come to understand that God does not require me to be joyful about the trial. Nowhere does he say, okay, Rob, after the open house today where you have to go somewhere else because the dog goes crazy when people walk in the house, so I got to take the dog some other place, drop the dog off, and then I'm going to drive to the hospital again. And as I'm walking down the corridor to my wife's room where she's not doing well today, Again, I do not have to go, this is so awesome that I'm walking down this corridor to go see my wife who's been in the hospital for two weeks. I'm not required to do that. That is not what this verse is telling me to do. Somebody say, thank God or amen or something. Every one of the things that you're facing right now, God doesn't say, you don't have to get excited because it's difficult. Because the enemy is coming against you. You're having a hard time. You're dealing with sickness. You're dealing with oppression. You're dealing with resistance from family. You don't have to be excited about that. And that excites me. Because I thought it was weird that the idea of God would somehow require me to be in full joy because my wife is lying in the hospital for the third time in three months. That's weird. I think they, they like bring you, if you're a parent that does that with their child, I think they bring you up on charges and consider taking the child away from you. And yet we attribute that to God. Like, oh, God's got everything under control. So he goes, oh, he made her be there. And so I got to rejoice walking down this. That's nonsense. Consider it all joy when you encounter trials. Not because, when. And that changed everything for me. That one word, to shift from because I have a trial to when I have a trial. Okay, you always like one of these things. Here's what I want you to take home with you today. God does not cause trials. He uses trials to benefit us. See, the enemy comes to try to mess me up with all this stuff. God says, well, I didn't send that on you because, you know, I'm a good God and I don't, you know, abuse my children. A few people are smart. You've, you've, You've felt that way, like God is like this abusive God. He's not. He uses the trials the attacks of the enemy to benefit us. He said, okay, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm going to make his attempt to work in your favor. I'm going to bring something better than he could have ever thought he was distracting or tearing down to make it better. God doesn't cause trials. He uses trials to benefit us. God didn't put Mary back in the hospital 
with a chronic disease. God isn't preventing our house from selling because he wants to teach us some kind of lesson. God didn't give me cancer so that I can have more empathy for those who are sick. God has, is, and is going to continue to use all those things to my benefit. And whatever you're dealing with today, he says, I didn't give you that stuff. I'm a good dad. I know how to take care of my kids. But I'm going to bring a benefit to you because he tried to touch one of mine. God says, you don't mess with my kids. There's going to be an outcome that you are not going to like. Now, we humans seem to need a motivation to change. Have you noticed that? I'll talk about something that's pretty relevant to everybody. We all know we should probably exercise more. We know we should probably eat better, even though the really best stuff is probably not on the list of things we should probably eat a lot of. I saw in the news the other day, I don't know why this popped in my mind. During Lent, there is this guy who is going to do nothing but live on beer for 40 days. Seriously, that's all he's going to do during Lent. I don't know whether to cry or laugh or weep or, or you know, toast him. I don't know what to do with that even. We get so weird with that. I've lost you all, haven't I? We know there's stuff we shouldn't eat, we eat more of it, and we go ahead. There's things we need to do, like take vitamins and supplements to help us out, because even the, the environment has kind of wrecked some of the stuff that comes in. And yet, we don't, until there's a crisis. We go to the doctor, and the doctor says, unless you change, this is going to happen. We all know we shouldn't smoke, but there's people here that probably smoke. I don't know who it does. You're not going to hell because you smoke. You might get there quicker. We all know we do. Thanks, Grace. What? You're not going to hell, but you might get there quicker? Heaven. I figured if Grace laughed, okay, we got it. You're not going to hell because you smoke. You might get to heaven quicker. And yet, most, of, most people who smoke do not change until the doctor said, cancer. And then we change. We seem to need a crisis in order to bring about change. Those of us who have been married for longer than about 15 minutes 
We should have been in counseling for marital counseling way before we did. But we tend to wait until somebody says, I'm leaving. We need a crisis to change. And I want to suggest James 1-2 is a crisis. Consider it joy when we encounter trials. Why? Because the trial is the crisis that says, I need to step into something different. It's true in our biblical life. Hey, our, our biblical Christian life. We know that there's a blessing promised to us when we tithe. Do not raise your hands, but there are people here that don't tithe. Why? Because we can probably figure it out better on our own, and we can manage our credit card debt and all that sort of stuff until we can't. And then we go, oh, God, come and bail me out. And he goes, I already provided for that like years ago. Tithing is to bless us, not to take money from us. Anybody who does that knows. We know we have a mandate to forgive. We will become free. Even if the other person stays screwed up and never forgives us, we get free when we forgive. But we don't forgive. One of the first things Hanny mentioned during our time was maybe there's not a forgiveness. Stuck a verse up about it because it's really hard for us to forgive. Until we have a crisis where we have some sort of emotional breakdown because we've harbored so much junk in us for so long, and the crisis moves us. We know the significance of our relationship with God. And yet, again, don't raise your hands, but if I asked how many people have consistent quality time with God, how many people journal enough to really know what God's voice is and spend time frequently enough so that when God interrupts you by stepping into an elevator that some woman just bursts into tears and you got a thir- you know 15 seconds to come up with something, how much do we actually spend time cultivating the relationship? See, we know good stuff, but we don't do it until the crisis comes. James 1, 2 is a crisis. Like a heart attack gets our attention about a physical issue, a trial gets our attention about a spiritual issue. Pain is a powerful motivator. God does not cause trials. He uses trials to benefit us. So why should we consider trials joyfully? Let's look at the passage in the whole, not just the first verse. So, James 1, 2, consider it all, or pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The joy is not in the trials. The joy is not in the perseverance trying to get through the the trials. I'm not joyful that I've had three months and not cracked up yet. Felt like it a couple times, but, you know, haven't. I'm not joyful about the perseverance thing. What are we supposed to be joyful about? Joy is in our maturation to become men and women that are mature. A trial comes up, Satan says, I'm going to mess with you and make you discouraged and get you off track. And God says, when you persevere with me through that thing, you're going to become more mature. You're going to be a bigger threat to the kingdom of darkness because you walked through and persevered into this thing. And the joy is, you ready? Maturity. The joy is not the trial. 
this is good news to somebody because you've been trying to feel like, oh, God, get me through this thing, and now I'm supposed to be joyful and I want to cry. Cried, that's okay. No big deal. Tears just say, I've really got an emotion going on. That's about all. It's all good because the end result is maturity. Maturity matters. Last time I spoke, remember, I said, God's planted a whole bunch of things in you. He's given you Holy Spirit. He's given you gifts. He's given you an anointing. He's given you a call. All these things. But they come in undeveloped state. If we never do anything with them, we're never going to experience them. We have to mature in it. Olympic athletes are marvelous athletes. But there's tons of people that are, that are very skilled you know, um, in athletics or something. What makes the, the athletics... The athletes who participate in the Olympics different. They worked their tail off to develop the talent that was in there to begin with. The difference between a a mature Christian and a Christian who's got all the same stuff, same Holy Spirit, same calling, same gifting, same anointings, the only difference is the perseverance to become mature. I know no one here, okay, I don't know. I'm just saying this to make you feel better. The thing that's wrong with North American churches is we're not mature. Why do I say that? Because if we call a monthly prayer meeting, look around us, the number of people who would come to that is about one-tenth if we're lucky. If we took a poll today to say, how consistently do you have quality time with God? It would be, from my experience, both as an accountant doing a, a uh, cell group and as a pastor, it's going to be about 3 or 4%. Now, there's people that read the Bible, and then they check it off, and then they go do the dishes and check it off, and then they do the laundry and check it off, and then they go to work and check it off. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a relational connection with God so that when Hanny says, in the next minute and a half... Hear from God about what he wants to say to you, and you can do it like that. Or that uh, uh, an elevator door opens and somebody comes in there and God says, boom, I want you to say something to him, and you've got ten floors to do it. That kind of relationship. Probably not more than 5% of us cultivate that. We can do it because God's entirely gracious, but cultivating the relational connection with God. We all know it, but it doesn't really happen. Because we, like most people who are talented, don't persevere to become mature like the Olympic athlete. They get to do it because they work their tail off to get there. They made it a priority. Perseverance is the thing that moves us from the focus on the trial to the focus on God's capacity to become mature because of the trial. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because it requires perseverance to get through it. And when perseverance completes its work, we are going to be mature, lacking in nothing. People say, well, my, my gift is just this one thing. No, your gift is to be the representation of Jesus. Did Jesus ever say to somebody, oh, 
you need a word of encouragement. Sorry, it's not my gift. Can you imagine Peter? The guy comes up and he says, I need, I need deliverance. Let me go find somebody who's got that spiritual. No, no, he says, you're complete, lacking in nothing. It's like, it's like God gave us a toolbox. There's nothing in the toolbox. We walk around because if we had a thing in the toolbox, we'd go, well, I got a hammer, so I know what to do with the hammer, but I can't do anything else. No, there's nothing in the toolbox until we get to the job that we need to do. We open the toolbox, and guess what's in there? The tool we need for the job. Because we're complete, lacking in nothing. He didn't get, we don't have a junior Holy Spirit. He didn't give you like three gifts of the Spirit. If you don't have them, you've got to go find somebody. Henny, I ain't got this gift. Can you, can you come over here and do this thing, please? Okay. Could, over here, could you come and do this thing? Because you know, Who's got this gift? We all, see, we laugh because it's funny. And yet the thinking is, I can't do that. I've got to go get somebody else because I don't have that gift. Do you have Holy Spirit? How many people have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior? Look at your hand up in the air. Thank you. You know what? Two weeks ago when I did that, I couldn't get everybody's hand up. You guys are learning. If you had your hand up in the air, you have the Holy Spirit without measure in you already. It's a matter of moving from infancy to just having it there like a million bucks in the bank account but no checkbook to write to maturity where you can do whatever God puts in front of you. And we get there not because of the trials because God didn't send that. We get there not because of the perseverance because that's the process of coming into maturity. We get there because we end up as mature men and women of God, fully capable and ready to do anything and everything that he puts before us. Wisdom to know how to speak to your child. Wisdom to know how to speak to an irritating neighbor. Wisdom to be able to speak against an attack that comes in our mind that says, you're no good. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, you don't have to look there now. I'm not going there, but it says we need to leave behind the elementary things. Things like, you know, forgiveness and repentance and those sorts of things. He says, I want you to grow up in other things. But Jesus said, I have so much I want to share with you, but you're not ready for it yet because we need more trials, which are going to give us more perseverance, which are going to bring more maturity in it. See, we, were, we become mature as we learn how to walk with Jesus through this stuff. The enemy says, I'm going to keep you from ever getting there. I'm just going to heap some stuff on and you'll quit. You'll get stuck in the resentment. You'll get stuck in the discouragement or the voice that says, you're not good enough. You've got to go get somebody else. And as we persevere, then we become mature and able to do Everything he sets in front of us. What does verse 4 say? James 1, 4 again. Complete and lacking nothing. Do you know how many times God says that in the Bible? Depending on your version, it's anywhere from 6 to 11 times where he says, directly, we will be lacking nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing. I mean, everybody can quote that one. 
And yet the first verse, we get stuck and never go past it. But we get to that place of no lack. We always had the potential for it, but we get there because of attacks that come against us and the perseverance to walk through until we become mature. One more time. Look at James 1, 2. The second verse says, Consider it joy when you face trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 3. Well, why? Verse 4. Perseverance results in becoming mature and complete, lacking in anything. I don't stand here because I've got any special anointing. I never asked for the job of pastor. I never ever intended to be vocationally in ministry. He said he wanted to do it. Well, okay, you say it. We're walking together, and that's what we're going to do. I don't stand here in front of you because I can name a list of trials that I have overcome, am trying to overcome at this point, or trying to persevere in. I'm not walking around with a plastic face that goes, God is good and he loves me and everything's great in my life. And God, I wish this stuff that's going on would go away because it really is bad. But praise God, I'm full of joy and it's going to work out okay. And then we wonder why the world thinks we're nuts. I stand here today with a delight in my heart because I know the pain of not seeing my wife get better. The stress of contending for getting all of this financial stuff to come together, to get out of one house and get into another house. These things that I've encountered, these trials over the last three months, are going to do something in me that's going to come back and bite the enemy in a place he don't want to get bitten. I'm learning they're recording this thing, and so I remembered it. Didn't say what I would have said if we weren't recording it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We don't stand as a community because we're perfect, because we're totally healthy, because we've figured it all out. We stand here because there's a God that says, I am bringing you. I am bringing me, I am bringing us into maturity to be able to demonstrate with spectacular differential from the way that the world lives. He says, we're going to show something to people in the spheres where you live, in your campus, with the Christians that you're around, you're going to show them something different because you persevere. In the relationship that you have, the people around you see something different because of the perseverance you've had to become mature through difficult things. What is it right now that's starting to click in you and Holy Spirit speaking to people right now? That place where you've not seen God, you haven't had joy because you don't want to be excited about the trial. But God's bringing you to maturity because you're placed there to bring a change. What is that place right now? And just give it to God for a second. We got a, I got about three minutes. 
Just give that thing to God for a second. God, there's this thing. I'm going to walk down this hall, and I've prayed for my wife, and she hasn't gotten healed. And I'm going to go there with joy because I know you're through the perseverance that I keep coming to you, you're going to change that. You've all got something like that. In your, in your heart, in your spirit, God, help me now. What do I need to do to refocus on what you're doing and bringing to maturity and completeness? How are you helping me to persevere in this thing? That, God, you're helping me to shift from this thing that's a, tri- a trial. It's a test. It's a thing that causes me pain. How are you helping me shift? What do you want to say to me about what you're doing and what you're accomplishing and what the enemy doesn't want to see in me because of this thing? I'm going to walk down that hall in about four hours. And there's a delight in my heart because I know God's doing something in me. Sure, I feel the pain of knowing that my wife is sick and probably going to be there for a while yet. My joy is God is doing something in me that's going to get back all of what's happened in her and in us. And it's going to cause more pain to hell than he ever could to me. Because my God has promised, as I persevere, I will be complete, lacking in nothing as I come into maturity. Men and women of City River, God is calling us to not just be North American Christians. He's calling us to be mature representatives of the kingdom of heaven to our world, wherever it is we go. God doesn't cause trials. He uses trials to benefit from us. Father, I thank you that you're going to go with each each man and woman here. And they are going to have a week that's different because your Holy Spirit is going to start to resonate and bring reminders of the truth that the, the trial that comes is not your making, but it's God's redemption and maturation of a gift in each person. That everybody's going to look at some trial differently this week because they're partnering with you by the power of God's spirit to become a kingdom of God bringer and a kingdom of hell wrecker. God, I thank you for courage because perseverance requires courage. And I ask that you would release whatever measure is necessary on every person so that they're able to say, yes, God, I will. Now may the Lord bless you as you go this week. And may you have a week filled with joy directed at the graciousness and the spectacular plan that God has for you in his life. Amen. Bless you guys.